0: Hi, everybody. This is Chuck Sype, Assistant Superintendent for Roxbury Schools, here with some of my friends to talk about mindfulness in the Roxbury School District, as well as some of the benefits of just introducing mindful practices into your daily routine. So I'm going to start by inviting everyone to introduce themselves and tell their role in our school district so that you know who you're listening to.
1: Hello, I'm Melissa Cosgrove. I'm a building principal at Jefferson Elementary School, uh, pre-K to four. I'm Jennifer Belecci, and I am a special education teacher at EMS Middle School,
2: teaching resource room English to eighth graders. I am Amy Rubin,
3: and I have the pleasure of being the mindfulness um, district consultant here for the district, where I have the ability to see not just one, but all of the students.
0: Very cool. Yeah. So just for a little bit of history, Amy and I met as a part of the district's emerging desire to investigate the benefits of mindfulness, pra- introducing mindful practices, mindful moments um, into our daily practice, not only for students in the classroom, but also for staff. Um, what we, I'm excited to say that we really started talking about that pre-COVID. And when we entered the really complicated time of the pandemic, not only how do we teach, how do we operate, how do we live in those really challenging moments and times But how do we recover from them? So I feel like our efforts to investigate this space and explore this as a potential benefit for not only our students but also our staff were really validated when we um, when we entered the pandemic time and as we come out of it. And so I'm going to start by asking Amy to share with us um, as our as our local expert. You know what are the benefits of mindfulness? What? How have you seen that the benefits pay off in schools? And then we'll get a little bit more into the specifics of our school, what you the, the multitude of things you offer to our school district and ways you interact with our school community. So let's start by telling us what mindfulness is to you. Why is it important to schools as our expert?
3: All right. So mindfulness is actually very simply defined as just being the practice of paying attention on purpose. What's really cool and what I love about mindfulness is that what we pay attention to is actually inconsequential to the benefits. And what that means is is that anything we pay attention to, whether it's the work that we're doing, the chores that we're doing, the dog that we're walking or the dishes that we're doing, um, actually is the same thing as formally practicing where maybe we're focusing on our breath or our bodily sensations that we might feel in the present moment. The idea behind it is that we take our mind out of the past and we take our mind out of the stories of the future, and we learn to become more present here in the future or in the present moment. And so the really cool thing about that is that it's something that students of all ages, Um, are able to be able to accomplish, um, not just in their classroom, but also in life and learning and everything in between. And it really provides an opportunity not just to grow those muscles of focus and attention, but it also helps to kind of grow that awareness. um, And that helps to also promote with some of that self-regulation, emotional intelligence, a lot of those skills that we hear about when we talk about social and emotional learning.
0: So, One of the things I just want us to dive into, and I'm going to invite Jen and Melissa to jump in here, as you talk about the importance of being present in this moment, you gave non-school examples, which I really loved because while this is a school initiative, I think that the transference of this skill and the awareness of oneself really transcends education, right? Right. Um, And so part of that is understanding your body's signals, right? When we have escalated stress, escalated anxiety, we feel warm, you know, we get the butterflies in our stomach, we sweat, you know. And so it's important to me as a practitioner, um, an educator, we recognize these symptoms in our students, right? Tests, moments in school constantly provide these triggers for students. And if we ignore them, we're not really allowing them the opportunity to be present in the moment. And the truth is, as an organization who cares about everybody, we want to, uh, our teachers to acknowledge and recognize those symptoms in themselves because we want them to be the best versions of them as they're working with our young people. So Jen and Melissa, share with us what that looks like in your classroom, in your school, amongst your school community, because I know you've worked very closely with Amy, which is why you're here to, t- to talk with us about this. What's that look like and how has it impacted your school and your class?
2: Well, um, I think one thing I want to touch on, it was interesting, Chuck, that you mentioned um, COVID and coming out of COVID, because what we've been talking a lot as educators is that our students almost forgot how to be in a classroom, right? They were, when they were home for so long, they were getting distracted and that was okay. They were giving into those distractions. They were not present in the moment, as you say, because they didn't really have to be. Uh, So as we're coming back from that and we're really back in this normalcy, we need to teach them those skills again. And I think that's why I found Amy's work so important because I found myself getting frustrated. And like Chuck said, I was forgetting to be in tune with those um, frustrations and how to deal with them and how to be present and how to make sure that my kids were, my students were present. So um, what I started to do was sign up for Amy's um Sessions where we would get the students together and teach them some different strategies. And they were very resistant at first. And Amy and I kept talking about, like, we gotta, we've gotta, got to keep going. we got to keep at it. They're going to get it. It's going to click. And then I invited her to come into the classroom because I had said, I want you to see them in action in the classroom. It's one thing when we're in a group and you're talking to them and you're showing them these strategies, but I'd love for you to see them in action, see what I'm seeing which was great because she came in, she just observed for a whole day. And then she came back with some strategies and the one that we found that really made a difference was called the mindful snack. And I love it because eighth graders are really highly motivated by food. (laughs) So, and it's not intentionally supposed to be a snack, it's an acronym. But I asked her, can I physically bring in a snack? Because I often do, because they love food. So I think the first time we did it, I brought in Skittles, right? And um, one Skittle, that's all I got was one Skittle. And Amy did this five minute um, mindfulness technique with them where they had to try not to finish the Skittle until the end of the session. And they did it and it was amazing. So I've been using that every day since. We start off and sometimes it's not five minutes. Amy was nice enough to record that session for me so that I could use it with them. But since we also as a district have access to the Calm app, I use that as well, because there's quick little one minute, two minute um, meditations that I do with them sometimes. Because as much as I love your recording, because I've been doing it every day, they've been getting bored of it. So and I bring in different snacks for them. Sometimes it's a starburst. Today it was an airhead Um, a Swedish fish, whatever it is, but they love it. And it really does reset them, and it gets them more present in the moment, and they're so much more focused for class. It's been such a game changer.
1: I love the word you just used, reset, because at the lower elementary level, it's really important to um, self-regulate and reset yourself, because as all little kids do, they get a little tied up in the moment and begin to have some tantrums. Since Amy's been working in our school, and uh, I'm sorry, I know I'm surprised she could get over to EMS because we gobble her up so much. Um, the teachers just love having Amy in the classroom. But even more so, um, not just working with the kids, but as a coach to them, because I now see the teachers taking on those strategies, doing a lot of their own teaching on re- self regulation and resetting. And it doesn't even just motivate kids in the classroom. But as sometimes happens, kids get sent to the office and I can see as they're waiting to talk to me, I can see them lift up their hand, breathe in, breathe out. They're doing their five finger breathing as they're very nervous to speak to me um, and self-regulating themselves. So taking that ownership on having the ability to calm yourself down so that you can really truly be present in that moment and understand the mistakes you made and then rectify them has really helped with our restorative practices, discipline, and just everyday life in the elementary school.
0: What I think is interesting, and I'd love to hear Amy talk a little bit more about is I'm hearing Jen and Melissa talk about addressing physiological needs, right? And so I think there's commonly a misunderstanding about mindfulness and its value or misconceptions about it. My understanding is it's really about feeling and understanding the cues that our body is telling us and learning ways to help address them, you know, kind of in line with the idea like Maslow before Bloom, right? Like we need to address our our personal needs before we are prepared to do anything else. And in this circumstance, it's learning. And so, you know, to hear Melissa talk about that she can observe students actually implementing those strategies, I love it. You know, like How do we help debunk misconceptions about mindfulness as something that is not really rooted in understanding one's own body signals?
3: So, you know, that's a really good question, because I think that uh, when I first started doing mindfulness, it was about, you know, what mindfulness is. And as I've approached this from a staff and a parent perspective, I spend a lot of time talking about what mindfulness is not. Um, when I work with the little, the smaller kids, I refer to that part or the area of the brain responsible for learning and focus and self-regulation as their smart parts. It's the prefrontal cortex. And I really try to make it very kid friendly and helping them to learn about how our brains are hardwired, understanding that there is nothing wrong with the emotions that we have. Um, we can't necessarily control the emotions that we have or the experiences that we have, but we do have control over how we respond um, and that is something that I try to offer to them in multiple different types of strategies. One of the other kind of myths of mindfulness, although calming down does seem to be um, a very you know high need for students in their experiences in the classroom, um, mindfulness can also help us to enhance not only our focus, but also enhance our energy as well. But we have to kind of know where that internal thermostat sort of registers in order to know what it is that we need. So yes, the first step is really kind of being able to kind of grow our stamina, right? And our awareness to be able to understand what's going on inside, right? Understanding kind of the neurology behind that how our our mind pumps thought, just like our heart pumps blood. And sometimes those thoughts can kind of intensify um, and lead to some some very strong emotions. And they can also lead to some behaviors or reactions that are not necessarily um, something that we want to happen. And that there Therefore, we have a choice if we can practice that pause. And that was kind of that idea of that mindful snack, um, which I absolutely loved that opportunity of being able to do because we did it both literally to kind of bait them. And then we did it sort of this metaphorical snack. And afterwards, they were so... honest and so authentic in saying how much they absolutely loved it. And that was the most calm they had ever felt before. They invited me to come back to class every day. Um, and if you've ever worked with middle schoolers before, that was probably one of the biggest compliments that I could have ever gotten.
0: You know, one of the things I am also interested in you talking about is, as Melissa has shared, you're so present at Jefferson you know, Jen has talked about how you spend a lot of time with her students and at the middle school. I know you visit our other schools as well. Talk about the, if you couldn't, if you wouldn't mind, share the variety of different things you do offer our district because it's much more than classroom visitations and small group work with students. You mentioned working with teachers. Um, so I just want you to kind of go through the array of things that you work on with our district. And then I, I want to just kind of backfill on the ongoing nature of our, our relationship so that um, it kind of puts in perspective what we're trying to accomplish.
3: Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I'm so very, very grateful for is the relationship that I have here and the opportunities that I have here provided by this district. As I was thinking about this and preparing today, um, you know, this is my fourth year in the classroom or or working, having this partnership with Roxbury. So, yes, it was pre pandemic, it was then virtual during the pandemic. um, And now we're back into the classrooms. Um, So, I kind of pride myself on the fact that my approach is very responsive right, but it's also very strategic. And at the beginning of the year, as well as after lessons, um, I'm always reflecting and uh, touching base with the school administrators, as well as district administrators, as well as the teachers themselves, and soliciting feedback from the students also, um, because it really kind of has changed the different types of programs and services that I have provided. Um, At the elementary levels, the classroom demo lessons seem to be the most well-received, which is why I visit each elementary school at least once a month, in some cases, twice a month depending on their student population. Um, In the middle school this year, we kind of started with a bit of an overview. So I was doing it during their triple E time um, and meeting with a large group of students. And then from there has kind of led to some more intimate classroom demo lessons. Some teachers have even gone so far as to survey their students and have it be interest-based and need-based for me to come in and visit. Um, I also support teachers once a week at the high school in their beautiful uh, wellness room, being able to provide a a guided mindfulness session each week for them. Um, And I also offer once a week virtually uh, through Zoom a guided meditation session as well. Um, And that was actually something that came as a result of the pandemic because right before the pandemic, I was offering in-person teacher Uh, mindfulness sessions and then the pandemic happened and we were kind of shut down and teachers were like, well, what am I going to do? So we switched to zoom instead. Um, And even uh, Loretta Radlick came on and talked about resilience and shared some of her information and and her knowledge, which was really beautiful. So every year it kind of kind of takes on this new um, look to it. Um, So much so that even at the beginning of the year, this year in the elementary schools, we decided to do whole school assemblies. Um, Um, one for students who maybe um, were new to the school, Uh, making sure that everybody kind of had this sort of across the board standard understanding of what mindfulness was, as you spoke about before. And then also um, it was really exciting because I started to have even more teachers sign up for those classroom lessons because we'd be where they were hesitant before they were like, no, this is really good. I want this in my classroom. So it's been, it's been a really great and amazing process.
0: And so just in case you're listening and wondering, I just would love for Jen or Melissa to chime in on this question is, you know, Amy's talked a lot about ways she's interacted with students and teachers. If a student in a class was like, I don't want to be a part of this, how do we respond to that? Right? Certainly we want mindfulness. You know, we see mindfulness as something that has the potential to benefit students, particularly as they understand the signals their body is sending. Um, additionally, as they kind of grow up in a world different than the world we grew up in, where you have this, you know, just like relentless barrage of technology and information, the myth of multitasking, right? Like the human brain only has a capacity to really pay attention to one thing at a time, even though everyone thinks they're expert multitaskers. It's not what brain science tells us. How do we respond or support and support, pardon me, students who are just like, "Mm, this isn't really something I want to be a part of. What's? How do we respond to that?
2: Well, I had a lot of reluctant eighth graders who straight up told me they didn't want to do this. This is stupid. This is not going to work for me. Um, But I think what Amy and I spoke about and what really worked was just consistent exposure. Mm -hmm. Just telling them, give it a chance. Just give it a try. You don't have to do it today. Just listen. And the more they were exposed to it and the more we just kind of kept at it until we found that thing that worked for them, that was when we got the buy-in. So those reluctant eighth graders that had no interest in this or thought it was not going to work for them or the ones now who are coming to me at the beginning of class and saying, are are we going to reset today? Are we going to, are we going to have our mindful snack? Or they're using it on their own. They're coming to me and they're saying, I I really need to take a minute outside the classroom to reset. So they're starting to become aware on their own. And I think it really just was that consistent, like, just listen, just give it a chance. Like, Mm -hmm. let's just expose you. And they found something that worked.
1: I think that's a really hard question for elementary students because they all really enjoy when Mrs. Rubin comes in. So it's hard to answer because I don't even know if if you've come across one student that isn't excited to take part. But I would say if they're not totally participating, maybe at the elementary level, right, they probably won't vocalize that they don't want to be a part of it. But if they're not listening, we just let them be because five or 10 minutes into it, they're joining the group because they they do they just want to be part of what everyone else is enjoying um if a child walks away from a lesson they usually walk away to the calm down corner which amy has helped teachers put together in their classroom so i just find that ironic but um we just have a really good time with it so it's a very difficult question for the little guys
0: Cool. And, and I think one of the keys, the reason it might be difficult, and we also see students who might be reluctant to begin with jump back in after they have some exposure, is what Jen, one of the things Jen just said, which is helping students find the thing that works for them. And what I really like about that language is it really connects with this overarching district philosophy of many of the things we're trying to do that are really about students helping to pave their own journey uh, towards young adult life and post-secondary life. Um, with finding the tools that are valuable to them, designing an academic program that matters to them. And if you think about the way adults respond to conditions that are less than optimal sometimes, what do we do? We walk away. We take a deep breath. Right, we, we implement, although we don't may, may not use those word this word mindfulness strategies. We implement mindfulness strategies just to help ourselves. You know, I've seen uh, you know people rub the palm of their hand. Like you have these strategies that definitely align with tactics that we're exposing students to. That are really adult skills that people implement all the time. Why not allow students to learn those skills? Because it'll hopefully will have the benefit of helping them regulate stressful moments in a way where that are manageable and successful, where they can kind of come out of that moment in a better place.
3: And if I can just kind of add on to that, you know, I always share with students that one of the things I love about mindfulness is that they say there are more forms of mindfulness than people to actually practice. And so I always come with multiple techniques and strategies for every single lesson. Um, And I will say to them, you know, if, if it's not the right tool for you, that's totally fine. You might not choose to add this to your coping skills toolkit today, right? And that's okay. And a lot of times at the end of the class, what I'll ask them is I'll say, you know, today I I shared four different ways to calm down, or five different ways to reset, or today we learned three different ways that we can um, let go of whatever it is, whether it's frustration or too much energy that's preventing us from being our best selves. How many of those strategies are you going to be adding to your toolkit today? And I'll just ask them to show me on their fingers or on their hands. And 99% of them will, sh- will show at least one. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And, and as you're even saying that, I'm writing down notes to kind of keep the conversation going because- the strategies we often use as adults aren't a part of the educational experience we had right so i'm um, you're using words like brain breaks resets mindful moments we do that as as adults right if you're you're in a grind in work or you know what do you do when you just feel yourself like i can't do anymore you get up you walk around you get a drink of water you grab a snack you grab a cup of coffee you just go say hi to somebody you work with you know a friend Like these are strategies that we use in the adult world that we don't associate with a learning experience. But what we what we have come to start to understand is if we're starting to I'm making up the numbers here just for the sake of argument. But if we begin to operate at 75 percent efficiency by taking a few moments to gather ourselves and get ourselves back to 95 percent efficiency, although we took a minute or two to do that we're operating, we're doing better, right? We're more productive, we're more efficient. And we, as adults, do that all the time without really thinking about it. It becomes this kind of subconscious action that we've learned over time. But again, imparting those skills to the students, but with the teacher still, reinforcing them, giving them permission, conscious permission, it's okay to take a break. It's okay to model that need for students. You're also a human, right? Like, it's okay to to be vulnerable in that way and allow the students to see you as a real person.
3: Absolutely. And I always say it's hard to be human. I'm sure all of you have heard me say that before, right? Whether you're five or 105. And I think that kind of is a really nice way to integrate all of the things that we've been talking about today. Because when we think about this, right, that it's okay to show our humanness. And the more that we talk about this and the more that we feel kind of vulnerable enough to be able to share our humanness and ask for breaks, or even when teachers take a pause to you know, answer a question or not to react, but to be able to kind of thoughtfully Respond. I think it actually speaks to the culture and climate of each of those classrooms, as well as those schools. And you know, to Jen's point before about what was the success of getting these eighth graders, reluctant eighth graders, on board. I also think that the big difference from the beginning to our our successful breakthrough moment was the culture and the climate. We were actually doing it in their classroom. They weren't surrounded by you know just any <coughs> peer, right? They were surrounded by their group of peers that they're always together with during that time and I think that you know it's it's a testament to how she has structured her classroom and that there is this level of trust and comfort um, I think that we see that a lot more kind of inter not necessarily interfering but coming into play with the older students because obviously you know how they seem in front of their peers is much more important to them sometimes than at the elementary levels mm-hmm. right so I, I think that it's a combination of all the things we talked about but that humanness is a Big role.
2: And what I think is funny, I'm laughing when you say that because I use a lot of your strategies in front of them as well. Like if, if we're having a rough class, I'll stop and I'll say, I'm just going to reset for a minute, guys. Give me a second. And then if they see me frustrated, they'll turn around and say, Oh, Miss Spalletti, it's time for a reset. So it's just become na- a natural part of the culture in the classroom now.
0: Cool. All right. Um, I think we've done a really good job of explaining it. Um, any last thoughts before I? give one last plug um, on Amy's website.
1: Um, So I did want to mention one thing that Amy does for us that um, she forgot to mention herself, which is the community outreach. So she will put out information um, at my back-to-school nights and things like that. So there is something coming up, if you don't mind me giving a plug. We have our SEL community night on May 2nd, 5 to 7. I believe you will be there, right, Amy? I will be there. Okay, wonderful. So... Please come join us that evening. It's at the Pavilion, and um, come learn more about all the great stuff we're talking about.
0: I'm just going to plug the plug. Okay. All right. So <laughs> I, it, it's it's really shaping up to be an exciting night, and I just you know I. We have so many people here in our school district who care deeply about our school community and our children and want to put together programs like the one Melissa just referenced. And I just want to give a shout out to Stephanie Del Russo and Ashley Chiquino, who are school counselors here in our district, who have worked really hard to coordinate this event. Um, And so I'm really excited uh, to to attend. I'll be attending uh, as a parent. Uh, I know mm-hmm. my kids are looking forward to it, too. So I know we have very busy schedules. We're embroiled in spring sports mm-hmm. and scouts and, you know, personal personal commitments, religious organizations. But if you're, you know, if you're available and you want to swing through, I think it's going to be a really great event. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. I do think it's important to note as we discuss the potential impact of mindfulness that studies have been conducted uh, investigating this exact thing. And what they have shown is that engaging in mindfulness practices such as meditation can lead to a change in brain structure and an increase in brain function. Uh, There is a study that indicated that individuals who practice mindfulness for eight weeks had increased brain density, right? gray matter is what it's referred to, gray, gray matter density in the prefrontal cortex and hippocampus. And these are the areas that are involved in emotional regulation and memory. And so I think that's important to note because while mindfulness may be a new concept for folks and some some people may be kind of considering how it may or may not fit into their lives, impact themselves, impact their children, research suggesting that engaging in mindfulness, which is really just a willingness to be present in this moment, as Amy has shared, and um, understanding the cues your body is giving you really does have a, a direct impact on your brain function. You know, there's an additional study that says that mindfulness practices can increase the connectivity in brain networking. And also, um, this is associated with self-reflection and introspection, ability for someone to recognize and consider their role in events uh, in the world around them. Um, And also, those adjustments in the brain structure have been linked to improved cognitive and emotional functioning. So, you know, while, while mindfulness might be a new concept or something that um, is is growing and expanding it is something that we think has a positive impact and research is, is indicating the same so you know I think there is a place to consider you know th- these impact as something that's positive to, and really beneficial um, for all of these reasons. Yeah. lastly I just want to say if you're curious about other things that are you know relevant to Amy's work you can visit her website it's mindful self with two F's uh, at the end.com so MindfulSelfExtraF.com. Okay. com. Um, And thanks for listening. You know, we hope that perhaps mindfulness and those just moments understanding your body's needs, really taking a moment to reset, as you've heard probably the most frequently used word in in this episode. Um, It's important. It matters that we listen to ourselves and it will help us be better humans. It'll help us interact with those around us in a more positive fashion. So um, wishing everyone well and the opportunity and willingness to be present in the moment, whatever moment that is that you're in. Thanks, everybody.